We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 186 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, November 12th, 2021, a football Friday on the show, a football Friday off a thirsty Thursday. Yes, Chase Young, he was thirsty for some money. He was thirsty for that paper. So he told us on Thursday in a post-practice press conference that got a lot of attention. Oh, I have a few things to say about what Chase had to say. But yes, it is Friday. That is a good thing. Happy Friday to you and yours. Hope you've been enjoying the unseasonably warm weather in the DMV in this month of November, although it certainly looks as if it's going to be plenty cold soon. Uh, It's already cold if you're like me and are a Washington football team fan. What's going to happen in this game against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon? The Bucs are the defending Super Bowl champions. The Bucs are maybe the best offensive team in the NFL, quarterbacked by the greatest quarterback ever. The Bucs have a very good defense, and Washington is in the midst of a four-game losing streak and has perhaps its number one star player having a disconnect with the head coach. Life is dandy, isn't it? Uh, My reaction to the latest in as the Chase Young turns next segment. I'll also give you the latest on injuries for the game. There's a lot to take in for both teams. I'll take you through some notable comments from offensive coordinator Scott Turner at his post-practice press conference on Thursday, including whether Jarrett Patterson will remain as Washington's primary ball carrier. Comments from Scott on the nature of a franchise quarterback in 2021, and an update from Scott on Kyle Allen. Yeah, remember him? 
Uh, I have a special guest to tell us in detail about the Bucks. Bucks and NFL draft analyst John Ledyard of Pewter Report, which is a really good side on the Bucks. And I, of course, have my rhyming keys for a Washington win and my prediction for the game. Also on the show, Goldilocks for College Football Week 11. Picks against the spreads for Maryland at number seven, Michigan State. Virginia, home to number nine, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech, home to Duke. And all postgame wins for the Capitals and Maryland basketball on Thursday night. For the Caps, a 2-0 win at the Detroit Red Wings as Zach Fucali became the first goaltender in Caps history to record a shutout in his NHL regular season debut. Holy Fucali! What a performance by Zach Fucali on Thursday night. For the Terrapins, we had a too-close-for-comfort 71-64 win over George Washington at Xfinity Center in College Park. The game was closer than that final score indicates. Some horrendous shooting by the Terps, but also a tremendous performance by Kudus Wahab for the Terps. By the way, congratulations to the Nationals' Juan Soto, the best hitter on the planet. Uh, he, on Thursday night, won a National League Silver Slugger Award for outfielders. Uh, Well-deserved, obviously, second straight year that Soto wins a Silver Slugger. And congrats to the Orioles' Cedric Mullins. He, on Thursday night, won an American League Silver Slugger Award for outfielders. First Oriole to win a Silver Slugger Award since Mark Trumbo in 2016. Silver Slugger Awards go to the best hitters at positions. Friendly reminder, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Subscribing is simple. Subscribing is easy. Subscribing costs you nothing. And subscribing ensures that you never miss an episode of the pod because you would never, ever want to miss an episode of the pod. Also, never be shy about spreading the word about the podcast. If you happen to know of someone who is looking for more and better discussion about Washington, D.C. sports, daily in-depth discussion about the Washington football team, and also year-round conversation about the Wizards, the Capitals, the Nationals. Let that person know about the Al Galdi podcast. Don't let that person settle for mediocrity in his or her sports talk. Few things are worse than sports talk that is mediocre or worse. Sports talk that isn't smart. Sports talk that isn't funny. Uh, Sports talk that just involves taking a bunch of calls from the same six people every day. We can do better. You deserve better. Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Josh off Taylor Heineke wearing a Joe Rogan experience sweatshirt at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday. Writes Josh, I saw that Taylor Heineke was wearing a Joe Rogan shirt at a press conference. When are the Al Galdi t-shirts coming out? Maybe if you did a segment on Casey Tuhill, he would wear an Al Galdi shirt at a press conference. For the record, I do not listen to Joe Rogan. I listen and only listen to the Al Galdi podcast. Well, thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. You know, few things in life would please me more than Casey Tuhill wearing a t-shirt or a sweatshirt for the Al Galdi podcast. I was told by Blue Wire that t-shirts for my pod would be coming. I'm still waiting on that, so I got to look into that. In the meantime, you can order t-shirts for the Nationals podcast that I do with Mark Zuckerman, the Nats Chat podcast. You can order those t-shirts by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Email from Michael on the Washington football team, Ron Rivera, and yes, chipping. Writes Michael, just cut up on all the pods on chipping 
And what a mess. Also, what an indictment of the coaching staff. Basically, Don Ron is saying this. Look, we did the self-scout in a bunch of advanced analytics, and we have this down to a science. When we get a team in third and long, we know exactly what they're going to do with our edge rushers, and we know they will do it a vast majority of the time. Um, dude, if you know what they are going to do, then why are you powerless to stop it? Are you freaking kidding me? It's a chip. Not the fanciest, most elaborate trick play in NFL history. How about figure it the heck out? And how about one of the edges make a play? I always thought most NFL coaches would kill to know what the other team was going to run. Because if you know what the other team will run, it's easy to stop. Apparently not with the WFT. Thank you for the email, Michael. Uh, Yes, I agree with everything you said If you didn't know better, you would think that chipping like means that the opposing team is allowed to have each of its offensive players carry a bazooka and blast Chase Young at the same time. I mean, so what that he's getting chipped more often? Overcome it. Both him and the team overcome it. I'm getting sick and tired of this entire Chase Young thing. Like I said, we'll do more on it next segment. Email from Hagerstown Bob. He's a big Virginia Tech fan. And wait till you hear this, writes Hagerstown Bob. Thanks for providing my favorite podcast. I am usually waiting for it at 5 a.m. I wish I had a product to advertise (laughs) just to hear your smooth transitions. Jeez, thank you, Bob. Very nice of you, Bob. Continues, Bob. I wrote the following after being disappointed by Virginia Tech's loss at Boston College, but then elated to get tickets to the Veterans Classic in Annapolis where Navy will host my Hokies on Friday night. I hope it makes you smile. All right, so quick pause. Bob is talking about the college basketball event in Annapolis on Friday night, the Veterans Classic, which will feature Navy hosting Virginia Tech. And then Bob, in his email, delivers a poem of Virginia Tech football's hideous 17-3 loss at Boston College last Friday night, a game in which starting quarterback Braxton Burmeister got injured. Here we go. Oh, Braxton, oh, Braxton, you were the man. The fighting Fuentes were at your command. Your ribs, they got injured in the game with BC. Now QB2 must cinch victory. Noxcatum, Noxcatum, I guess that's your name. With Brax on the sideline, you're now in the game. But man, it was ugly. Committed many a sin. Now an 0-4 conference team is getting the win. Oh, hooker, oh, hooker, where are you now? In the SEC, he said with a scowl. You thought I had issues, but down here they see I'm QB1 with the Vols of Tennessee. As a big Hokie fan, I'm not worried yet. As my eyes turn from goalposts and onto the nets, the hurrying Hokies. I'm now on to this. I'll be seeing them on Friday against Navy in Annapolis. Bravo, Hagerstown Bob. Bravo! A job well done. How about that for a little scheduled fun on a Friday? Hagerstown Bob worked in Braxton Burmeister's injury, worked in the backup quarterback for Virginia Tech, Knox Kadem, worked in former Hokies quarterback, Hendon Hooker, who is killing it for Tennessee. Bob even worked in my fighting Fuentes phrase. Outstanding, Bob. Well done. You see, that's the kind of creativity that we appreciate and value on this podcast. Well, you, of course, should always value your health, including the health of your skin. How's that for a transition? And if you have questions or concerns regarding your skin, contact 
Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. If you are unsure about something with your skin, if you have questions about your skin, if you want to improve your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, have dealt with skin cancer, would like to be screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. And specific to skin cancer treatment, the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something very special and cutting edge, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, the 2-6 and six Washington football team will face the 6-2 and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. Next segment, I'll talk Washington offense, including comments from offensive coordinator Scott Turner on what exactly a franchise quarterback is in 2021. But right now, we talk Washington defense, including some perhaps telling comments from Chase Young on Thursday. But before those comments, we have injuries to get into. And we did have the addition of a Washington defensive player to the team's injury report on Thursday. Benjamin St. Juice did not practice on Thursday due to illness. Uh, No word on what his status might be for Sunday against the Bucks. Otherwise, Washington's defense was as it was on Wednesday. Montez Sweat did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day as he is in the midst of an expected absence of four to six weeks due to a reported non-displaced fracture of his jaw that was suffered in the loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight. You know, Washington has not placed Montez on the reserve injured list, at least not yet. Washington has not been very aggressive this season in putting players on the reserve injured list. Could have put Curtis Samuel back on it recently, has not done that, although doing so would have meant that Samuel is done for the season. But Washington could have put Brandon Sheriff on the reserve injured list, did not do that. And at least so far, Washington has not put Montez on the reserve injured list, even though, again, he's expected to miss four to six weeks. Uh, Also, William Jackson III was a full participant in practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day. He has been inactive for the last two games due to a knee injury. So he's on the injury report, but Jackson looks as if he'll be back for Sunday against the Bucs. And the Bucs do remain banged up offensively. Uh, Receivers Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown and tight end Rob Gronkowski all did not practice on Thursday 
for a second consecutive day. Godwin is dealing with a foot injury. He's having a really good season. Brown has missed the last two games due to an injured ankle. Gronk returned from injured ribs in the Bucks' previous game, their loss at the New Orleans Saints in Week 8, but he then left that game with a back injury. Uh, the Bucks have been maybe the best offensive team in the NFL this season. The Bucks through Week 9 per Football Outsiders DVOA metric were number one in the NFL in total offense, number one in the NFL in passing offense, and number seven in the NFL in rushing offense. Not bad. Uh, Tom Brady, in this his age 44 season through Week 9, was number two in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR. And so Sunday would be a wonderful day for Chase Young to finally have a big game this season. Chase, of course, has been talked about a lot lately, and by none other than his head coach. You know, I love sometimes when people say, oh, this is such a media thing. No, this is not a media thing. This is a head coach has been saying these things thing. This is not some media concoction. This is straight from the horse's mouth, straight from the Don Ron's mouth. We had that piece by Michael Silver on the Washington football team's official website, WashingtonFootball.com, now two Thursdays ago, November 4th. More on the reality of those comments having been made to the team's official website coming up in just a bit. But Ron, in that piece by Mike, spoke about Chase Young and Montez Sweat in a very direct way. Said Ron, quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates End quote. Then came what I called Chase Young Day this past Monday. Ron Rivera on Monday did a post-practice press conference, spoke for about 17 minutes, and the number one topic at the presser by far was Chase Young. Ron went in-depth on Chase's struggles this season, why he has struggled, and what specifically he can do better. Well, Chase Young did a post-practice press conference of his own on Thursday, and interestingly, there's no video of the press conference from the Washington football team. Uh, The team on its website posted video of Jack Del Rio's, Scott Turner's, and Cole Holcomb's post-practice press conferences, but the team did not post video of Chase Young's post-practice press conference. Now, perhaps there's nothing nefarious to that. Uh, The team doesn't post every post-practice press conference on the team's website, but the team has posted plenty of Chase Young press conferences on the website, didn't though post this post-practice press conference. Hmm, I wonder why. Well, all we have to go by are some quotes from Chase Young. Now, what got a good bit of attention was what Chase said about his off-season shoots that he said were the reason for him missing those OTA practices. So just to refresh your memory, The Washington football team held its first batch of OTA practices in the 2021 offseason from May 25th through the 27th. 86 players participated in the practice on May 25th in a tremendous display of attendance, especially given that the NFL Players Association in the 2021 offseason had been openly pushing for boycotts of in-person workouts. There were four Washington players who missed all or part of Washington's first batch of OTA practices. Among those players were Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Now, Montez ended up attending the second and final week of Washington's 2021 OTA practices. Chase ended up not attending any 
of Washington's OTA practices this past offseason. He did attend the mandatory minicamp from June 8th through the 10th. Uh, Chase, in a post-minicamp practice Zoom press conference on June 8th, said that he had been in attendance for various parts of phases one and two of Washington's offseason program, but had skipped phase three, which featured the OTA practices. As Chase said, he had had, quote, five different shoots for five different things, end quote, including shoots for Under Armour and eBay and doing Family Feud. Chase also said that he had, quote, a lot going on, end quote. Uh, Chase did add that he had been in communication with Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. And so said Chase on Thursday at his post-practice press conference, quote, I was making money, baby. (laughs) Gotta make that money. None of y'all would have ducked the money. At the end of the day, it's a job. You feel me? Just like y'all do your job, I do my job. End quote. Again, those comments got a lot of attention. Now, to me, without actually having heard the audio of those comments, because again, the team had not posted the Chase Young post-practice press conference, there is a tone-deaf nature to those comments. There is a lack of accountability to those comments. But to me, those comments fall under the umbrella of whatever, okay? I just put those comments under the umbrella of whatever. Because personally, at this point, I don't care that Chase Young missed OTA practices. I don't like that he missed OTA practices. I can live with him having missed OTA practices. It's not the end of the world that he missed those OTA practices. It just wasn't a great look given that he was and is a captain. You know, to me, if you're a captain, you should make the extra effort and attend the quote-unquote voluntary OTA practices. It's not that big of an ask. Washington only had two weeks worth of OTA practices this past offseason. He could have attended the practices. He chose not to. Okay, whatever. Here are the three things that I do care about with Chase Young, and I care about these things in the following order. Number one, he is a major part of a Washington defense that has been a big bust so far this season. You know, it would be one thing if Chase had his underwhelming numbers, but the Washington defense was killing it. Then you'd say, yeah, you know what? Those numbers are misleading. But it's the fact that Chase has these underwhelming numbers on what has been a bad Washington defense so far that I know really sticks with me and I know sticks with a lot of you. Number two, Chase has had this glaring lack of individual production so far this season. And I'm not just talking about sacks. There are plenty of other things you can look at that scream to you that Chase Young has not been great so far this season. He hasn't been awful. He hasn't been terrible, but he has not been special so far this season. And he was taken with the number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft to be special. And number three, he very clearly has a disconnect with Ron Rivera, who with these recent comments has confirmed that Chase has been among those players who have not adhered to the defensive scheme. You know, Ron has made that crystal clear. All of these times that Ron, over the last few months, has talked about players not playing the defensive scheme and people lacking in maturity, Chase Young clearly has been one of those guys. And we suspected that for a while. That now has been confirmed by these recent comments from Ron Rivera. And think about this with these recent comments from Ron on Chase 
Don't you think that Ron knew what he was doing in making those comments? Don't you think that Ron knew that him being so open and so direct about Chase's season would get a lot of attention? And so now ask yourself this question. Why did Ron still make those comments knowing that they would become such a thing? And the answer to me is this. Ron wanted the comments to become a thing because he wants to get through to Chase Young. What these recent comments from Ron about Chase tell me is that Ron has been trying to get through to Chase and Chase just isn't listening and or just isn't doing what Ron is telling him to do. And Ron is sick of it. Ron is fed up with it. And so he's trying a new tact, one that involves essentially calling out Chase publicly. Don't you find it interesting that this really truly got going with comments from Ron to Michael Silver of the Washington football team's official website? You know, Ron and Mike go way back. Uh, They went to Cal together. They're buddies. The reason that Mike now works for the Washington football team is Ron Rivera. Mike has said that. So don't you think that it's possible that Ron was seeking an outlet through which he could make public his message to Chase, told Mike about this, and did it? How often does an NFL head coach talk about a player like that to the team's official website? I mean, come on, that almost never happens. Most of these pieces on these team websites are very soft and very careful in terms of criticism. That's not what this piece was. Now, this was not a hit piece, but this was a notable piece. This was something that if you're a Washington football fan, you wanted to read because it included comments from the head coach on maybe slash probably the most high-profile player on the team, and these were not glowing comments. And Ron did this regarding Montez Sweat, too. Again, Ron, in that piece by Michael Silver, quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates, end quote. Now, look, it's not like Ron has been trashing Chase Young. Ron on Monday said plenty of good things about Chase, but there's a definite messaging going on here. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is Ron saying these things? And to me, it's because he knows exactly the impact that him saying these things will have. And Ron is looking at saying these things as a next resort and trying to get through to Chase Young, who for whatever reason is not listening and or not acting upon what Ron has been saying behind the scenes. As you may recall, I said months ago that it felt to me like there was more going on with Washington's underachieving defense than just guys not playing well, you know, that the struggles of the Washington defense went well beyond a play here and a play there, that there may well be issues behind the scenes. And some people were like, oh, Goldie, why are you being so dramatic? Oh, Goldie, why are you trying to start stuff? I wasn't trying to start anything, okay? I was just being real about this. The defense was so bad and so off that to me, it reeked of there's more going on here than just your basic fundamental defensive struggles. And this is exactly the kind of thing that I was talking about, a disconnect between a coach and a player 
like what we obviously have with Ron Rivera and Chase Young. There are many things that have been disappointing about this Washington football team season so far, but maybe the most disappointing thing is what's going on with Chase Young. Again, number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft. He has been a disappointment so far this season. Not that he has been awful, just that he hasn't been special. He hasn't been great, and that's magnified by the fact that he is a big part of a Washington defense that has been a giant flop. By the way, Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio did a post-practice press conference on Thursday. Uh, The presser lasted for less than five minutes. He said basically nothing. I think the media at this point is tired with trying to drag answers out of Jack. So we didn't get much unintentional comedy with this Jack presser. Here he was, though, on what advice he has for Chase Young as Chase tries to find his way in his second NFL season. Yeah, I mean, just stay stay to your work. Um, come in with a good attitude and work hard every day, and good things happen. You know, the, the talent is there. The willingness is there. Um, you know, keep the work ethic strong. Uh, keep your spirits high. And um, don't read too much about, you know, don't, don't worry too much about what, what is said or, or, or written. Um, just focus on your trade and go to work. There you go. Sounds so simple, right? What happens with Chase Young the rest of this Washington football team season is a big deal. Is the lack of production going to continue? Are things going to get ugly between Chase and Ron? Or is Chase finally going to get on track? Chase also said this on Thursday, quote, everybody who talks, just wait till down the road. Just keep watching, end quote. Okay, we'll be watching. Things are not going well for Chase Young right now. We always hope that things are going well in your life, but we know that it's not always the case that things are going well in your life. Bad things happen, and I want to tell you about a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Ace. Paulson and Ace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Ace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. If you have a case... Contact Paulson and Nace and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours.
All right, let's talk Washington offense in preparation for Sunday afternoon's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field. Thursday's practice was a second consecutive encouraging practice in terms of three key Washington players potentially being back this Sunday. Samuel Cosme on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day as he's trying to come back from an ankle injury that has caused him to miss three consecutive games. Brandon Sheriff on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day as he's trying to come back from a knee injury that has caused him to miss four consecutive games. Offensive coordinator Scott Turner spoke on Thursday via post-practice press conference. Here he was on Washington on Sunday, potentially getting back Cosme and Sheriff. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, Cornelius was out this past game too. So just getting those guys back um, is big. I mean, you know, Sam... uh, is is a good young player that I feel like is even getting better. It's a shame, you know, he got hurt as a rookie because I feel like, you know, he's gotten better and better every every moment that he's been here going back to, uh, you know, the offseason. So getting him back on the field would be would be great. And then, you know, Brandon's, you know, the you know, one of if not the leaders of our offense and uh, he's an all pro player. And, you know, to get him back on the field is a is obviously a no brainer, a huge, huge bonus. And, you know, he brings a lot of physicality and toughness and just the, the overall leadership uh, to that group. Yeah, good point by Scott Turner to bring up Cornelius Lucas, who was inactive for Washington's loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight due to illness. He had started Washington's previous two games at right tackle. Washington's starting right tackle for that loss at the Broncos was Sadiq Charles, but Washington on Tuesday actually placed Sadiq on the reserve COVID-19 list. Now, he has been vaccinated for COVID-19, so in theory, He could be back sooner rather than later, but uh, there is that Sadiq Charles issue to be mindful of. But for now, things seem to be trending in a positive direction regarding Samuel Cosby and Brandon Sheriff. Also, Deami Brown on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to a knee, which caused him to be inactive for the loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8. So it is looking like there's at least a decent chance that Washington will have back Samuel Cosme, Brandon Sheriff, and Deami Brown for this game against the Bucks. However, uh, Logan Thomas did not appear to practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day, so him being activated from the reserve injured list, which he has been on since October 6th due to a hamstring injury, is looking unlikely. Also for Washington's offensive practice on Thursday, Antonio Gibson was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to his problematic shin. Cam Sims was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to a hamstring. He and the loss at the Broncos returned from a three-game absence that was caused by a hamstring injury. And Samus Reyes was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to a hip. But also on Thursday was this. Not only did Curtis Samuel not practice for a second consecutive day, he wasn't even at practice on Thursday. Uh, Samuel reportedly was getting another opinion on his groin as the groin injury from hell continues. The never-ending groin injury continues. We first learned of this groin injury in early June as the injury kept Samuel from participating in Washington's mandatory minicamp. Samuel this season has played in a total of just two games and on a total of just 30 of Washington's offensive snaps. Ryan Fitzpatrick this season has played on a total of 16 of Washington's 
offensive snaps. That, in some ways, is Washington's 2021 season in a nutshell. The team's top two offensive free agent acquisitions of this past offseason have totaled just 46 offensive snaps. Uh, for the Bucks, edge rusher Jason Pierre-Paul did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to shoulder and hand ailments. So, is Washington's offense uh, going to be good on Sunday? Uh, well, Washington's offense being good on Sunday isn't going to be easy. The Bucks, through Week 9 for Football Outsiders DVOA metric were number 10 in the NFL in pass defense and number 4 in the NFL in run defense. Washington, through Week 9 for DVOA, was number 23 in the NFL in passing offense and number 26 in the NFL in rushing offense, to say nothing of Washington's recent red zone issues. Washington is just 2 of 11 in the red zone during the team's current four-game losing streak. Scott Turner on Thursday was asked about Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday, having essentially said that various facets of Washington's offense seem to work at different times, i.e., it has been rare this season that everything has been clicking for Washington offensively. Here was Scott on that. Yeah, I think the a little bit of that, you know, in order to be a, a good offense, and, and we're, we're working and we're trying, you know, to get to that. But if you want to be a truly good offense, you got to be able to do everything. And some teams, you know, sometimes in games, you, your advantage is going to be in one aspect of the game. So you're going to, you know, go to that more. So you're going to have more success. Um, and then in other games, you're going to, you know, it might be something else and you're going to go to that. And you got to be able to be versatile um, on offense, whether it's the guys you're getting the ball to, um, you know, whether it's attacking down the field, um, running the ball, like different, the different things that you've said. Um, and I, then, but I think what Coach is talking about more so is, you know, we've had some opportunities to be successful in some of those areas. And, you know, whether it's one guy here, one guy there, um, we just have not got that done. I haven't capitalized as much um, as we need to from certain opportunities. And I think, you know, it's, it's getting some consistency, um, you know, with the guys that are playing. Um, guys just continue to focus and work and, and get better and grow, you know, as they get into their, you know, as they grow into their career and into the season. Yeah, well, we're essentially halfway into Washington's regular season. What about this idea of offensive identity? Uh, what is Washington's offensive identity? Now, personally, I think that the idea of offensive identity can be very overrated. But here was Scott on Thursday on Washington not having a clear offensive identity. You know, I've heard people say before, I think it was uh, Bill Belichick, you know, that the, your identity is that you are versatile. I mean, that is an identity within itself, you know. Uh, I think, you know, it is important to have some things that obviously you can that you can hang your hat on. But, I mean, defenses are good and people are well coached and, and you got to be able to attack in different ways. And, you know, it's not like... Um, you know, there, it's not like you're just going to line up and beat somebody uh, in this league. You know, there's got to be, you know, different aspects of your game to, to throw people off. And I totally agree with Scott Turner on that. That Bill Belichick philosophy of offensive identity is precisely the way to think. You as an offense need to be good at everything so that in any given game, you can exploit whatever a defense's weakness happens to be. Offensive identity to me was more of a thing 
back in the day. You know, the Redskins with the Hogs are going to keep running 50 gut. You know, that kind of thing. Offensive identity is not nearly as much of a thing now. The problem for Washington offensively this season is that the team really isn't doing anything really well. You know, passing game, running game, third down efficiency, red zone efficiency, explosive plays, all of those things have been problems. And yes, the many injuries haven't helped, but still Washington has not been able to overcome those injuries. I mean, maybe Washington's offensive identity this season is that the team isn't that good at anything. You know, how's that for an identity? Uh, Regarding Washington's running game, will we be seeing a good bit of Jarrett Patterson again on Sunday? Remember, Washington's loss at the Broncos in Week 8 featured Patterson, not Antonio Gibson, getting the bulk of the carries. I feel like this has kind of been forgotten. Patterson was Washington's leading rusher in the loss at the Broncos. He had 11 carries for 46 yards, no receptions on one target. In playing on just 23% of Washington's offensive snaps, Gibson had eight carries for 34 yards and three receptions for 20 yards on three targets in playing on 33% of Washington's offensive snaps. Now, of course, Gibson has been dealing with the ailing shin, but he did not have an official injury status for that game at the Broncos. And so I wondered whether Patterson getting the bulk of the carries had anything to do with Gibson's fumbling. Gibson entered that Broncos game with four fumbles in seven games this season. Scott Turner on Thursday on whether he anticipates a similar role for Jarrett Patterson in the game against the Bucks as Patterson had in the loss at the Broncos. Yeah, that was nice to see him go out there. You know, it takes a little bit off the other guys. Um, and uh, he did a nice job. You know, we've talked about this before with opportunities and guys getting opportunities and the reward for doing a good job is more opportunities. And I think he did a nice job with what he got. And, um, you know, we'll continue to, to see him uh, to see him going forward. Okay, it's hard to tell how much of Patterson getting more carries than Gibson in the loss at the Broncos was about Gibson's shin versus Gibson's fumbling. But here's something to keep in mind. So ESPN, as you may know, has these win rate metrics for offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and edge rushers. Uh, The metrics are based on player tracking data from the NFL's next-gen stats. Washington's offensive line rates very well in ESPN's win rate metrics. In fact, Washington through week nine was number four in the NFL in team pass block win rate and was number one in the NFL in team run block win rate. So Seth Walder of ESPN Analytics has come up with something called block adjusted rushing, a model that predicts the rushing yards on every run based on run block win rates, defenders in the box, down in distance, and yards to the end zone. Antonio Gibson threw games on Sunday, October 31st. So through games on Halloween, among 29 running backs who Walder looked at, had gotten the benefit of the best run blocking among these players, but also had underperformed the most. And I wonder if that's the kind of thing that Washington's coaching staff is aware of, either analytically or just by watching tape. But that stood out to me that Gibson, who was an analytics darling last season, has really fallen off this season. And perhaps the shin is why. Also during Scott Turner's post-practice press conference on Thursday, was him getting asked about what matters more than anything with Washington from a football standpoint right now. Franchise quarterback. 
Washington has been on this quest for a franchise quarterback for decades. The urgency to find a franchise quarterback feels as high as ever right now, does it not? And unless Taylor Heineke, or I guess Kyle Allen, catches fire to some insane degree down the stretch this season, Washington figures to very much be shopping for a franchise quarterback this offseason. Now, of course, it's one thing to say, go get a franchise quarterback this coming offseason. It's much harder to actually get a franchise quarterback in an offseason. Anyway, here was Scott Turner on Thursday on the notion of a franchise quarterback in 2021. It, it's, you know, there's obviously been some guys that have come in and played with different skill sets. Um, I think there's more, you know, maybe more mobility, but you have to be able to consistently beat the, beat teams with your arm in this league. Um, all, the other stuff is, bon- is a bonus. You know, um, it, to say it's changed, I think football in general has changed. I think it's a little bit more opened up. People use more spread formations. So in turn, like the guys that are running offenses as quarterback, they they have changed. I think the, so that has changed the position. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, we have so many more athletic freaks now as franchise quarterbacks. Years ago, guys like Randall Cunningham and Michael Vick really stood out because of their athleticism. Now it feels like so many quarterbacks are athletic freaks. You know, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and the nature of college football has had a lot to do with this. Remember when people 10 years ago yelled and screamed about the read option not being sustainable in the NFL? Yeah, how ridiculous does that now look? Pretty much every quarterback who comes into the NFL now comes from a read option heavy college offense. And so all of these quarterbacks who are run threats are being given chances like never before in the NFL as the NFL finally woke up to giving these guys chances and doing offense in a more diverse, forward-thinking way. Not every quarterback has to be that classic, statuesque, drop-back passer. Not every quarterback has to play football the way that Peyton Manning played football. Now look, if you can play football the way that Peyton Manning played football, more power to you. But there is more than one way to play the position of quarterback. It's just so remarkable to me because the read option was around for decades in college football before the read option finally came to the NFL. And how did the read option finally come to the NFL? Well, the read option came to the NFL really with Cam Newton on Ron Rivera's Carolina Panthers in 2011. And then, of course, with Robert Griffin III with Washington in 2012. Scott Turner on Thursday also got asked this regarding the pursuit of a franchise quarterback. Is it harder to develop quarterbacks these days? Um, I think so. I think you know people's timeline gets sped up a little bit. You know, uh, you know, there's a little bit more of a. There's not little, you know, guys are expected they, to come in and perform um, or show progress. So that hurts can hurt development. And then also, uh, you know, you get less time with them now with the rules. So that that could be it. But I mean, you you could still. I mean, it's not you can still develop guys. You can, but boy, it sure feels now more than ever before that if a quarterback isn't good quickly or doesn't at least show major promise from the get-go, then he probably just isn't going to be that good. Not every current franchise quarterback was great in his first season as a starter, but most showed enough in their first seasons as starters to make you think that they could be great. 
And so for now, Taylor Heineke remains Washington's starting quarterback. Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday revealed that a recent MRI exam on Ryan Fitzpatrick's right hip had revealed some progress, but not enough progress to where Fitzpatrick will be back playing anytime soon. Fitzpatrick has been on the reserve injured list since September 14th due to his right hip subluxation that was suffered in the loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. And with Heineke remaining as Washington's QB1, Kyle Allen remains as Washington's QB2. Ron Rivera has seemed to be in no rush to go to Kyle Allen, and we just haven't heard that much about Allen, who, remember, suffered a dislocated left ankle and reported small fracture in that loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field in Week 9 of last season. And then, remember, Allen aggravated the surgically repaired left ankle this past July 31st at Washington's final 2021 training camp practice in Richmond. He didn't fully practice again until August 15th. Scott Turner on Thursday got asked about how Kyle Allen is doing. Uh, Kyle's doing great. You know, he's done a nice job, uh, you know, running the show team stuff. Um, He's in the meetings all the time, Um, obviously. um, You know, him and Taylor have a good relationship, but, you know, Kyle knows ball. He knows the system. He asks good questions. You know, he has good input um, as far as just the things that we've done, and he's ready to go, you know, if if something were to happen or if his, you know, if his number's called, you know, and Kyle will be able to step in and perform. The big thing with him is, you know, just – He's been able to, you know, to get healthy, and he was healthy, and he practiced during training camp. But um, there's still, you know, when you come off an injury, it's there's not, you know, there's you're you're getting more confident and confident the more you play and the more you practice, and you've seen him, and we've seen him progress through that. Well, you know me, I'm not a Taylor Heineke hater. I'm not a Tay-Tay hater. I'm not a Tater. But I did think that Kyle Allen did a pretty good job as Washington's starting quarterback last season. Kyle Allen, over four games last regular season, had a total QBR per ESPN of 68.2. That's quite good, albeit in a small sample size. I'm not saying that Kyle Allen's a franchise quarterback or anything like that, and I do want to see more of Heineke, but it's just funny to me how much Kyle Allen has been like buried off what he did last season and off the famous Ron Rivera comments last December on the Wednesday prior to Washington's win at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football in Week 17 to clinch the NFC East that Kyle Allen could have had Washington in the exact same position into which Alex Smith got Washington. Still to come, my rhyming keys for a Washington win over Tampa Bay. But up next, we'll go behind enemy lines and get all that we need to know about Washington's opponent this Sunday, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers with Bucks and NFL draft analyst John Ledyard of Pewter Report, which is a terrific sight on the Bucks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, time now to go in-depth on the 2-6 and six Washington football team's opponent for this Sunday afternoon at FedEx Field, the 6-2 and two reigning, defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Bucks and NFL draft analyst John Ledyard of Pewter Report, which is a great side on the Bucks. John, very nice to have you on, man. How are you? Absolutely, man. I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. This is fun. I'm looking forward to this game this weekend. Yeah, I don't know if us Washington fans will like the ultimate result of the game, but I guess we'll see. So the Bucks, of course, won the Super Bowl last season. They're 6-2 and two with a plus 77-point differential this season. I know that they're coming off a loss, the loss at the New Orleans Saints in Week 8, but is there anything truly to complain about with the Bucks right now? Is there anything significant going wrong for the Bucks right now? Yeah, it's a good question because you would hope that they would not have lost two games to this point. The Rams maybe did outplay them a little bit. They were a little banged up in that game. Rams played great. Um, they had some coverage mistakes. It's really the only game this year they've made some actual like errors in coverage. Um, so there, there were some concerns maybe coming out of that game. But the Saints game, I really don't feel the same way. I look back at that game, I'm like, man, they put up 400-some yards of offense and one of the best defense in the league. Brady threw for 375, four touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, like, the penalties were ridiculous, but some of those were just, those calls, it's not going to be sustainable, you know what I mean? That's not a sustainable way to win the way the Saints won in that game. It, it, it sucks for that week, but it's not It's not really a process error so much. So I look at them, I'm like, okay, what are the what are the things that could hold them back? And you're right, there are not many things. I think that's kind of what the analytics kind of still have them as the number one team in the league right now, and because they've looked through, uh, those are the two losses, and kind of looked at the process and not found a lot of flaws in, in terms of how they're getting results. And so I think one of the things they need to get more pressure, really more pressure and more sacks. Uh, they only have 17 sacks this season. Uh, that's in and of itself a bad stat to look at just by itself. But there's a couple things that are concerning about it. Number one, Todd Bull's defense is kind of predicated on getting sacks, at least getting pressure at high enough rate to force teams into tons of mistakes. It hasn't really been the case this season. You know, they're still giving up a pretty good completion percentage. Teams are still, kind of officially moving the ball. They've gotten better in situational football, red zone, third downs. You know, they're flirting with getting into the top 10 defense in those uh, categories. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is pressure. If they can get teams, you know, in bad down distances uh, with sacks, that is just so such a big deal. That has been the number one thing they can't consistently do. When they did it against Chicago, it was dominant. Uh, but it hasn't been consistent this season. They have not been able to do that. Whether it's getting pressure with four or Bulls blitzes more than any defensive coordinator, more than any defense in the NFL, the Bucks blitz. Um, so when you play that way, you need to have results. Otherwise, you leave your, cover, your secondary exposed a lot. And they've had a ton of injuries in the secondary. So 
They've left that group vulnerable a good bit. The Bucks have not given up hardly any big plays. They've given up two 40-plus yard plays all season. Both of them were to the Rams. Both were to Deshaun Jackson, actually. Um, so this has been very much a team that everybody will dink and dunk against. Nobody wants to run, and nobody's going to hit big plays down the field against the Bucks for the most part. Everybody wants to dink and dunk and run after the catch against the Bucs. So it's a frustrating watch sometimes because when they're not getting home, other teams are just able to be really efficient. Uh, they're hoping that they make a mistake or don't convert in the red zone. And that's gotten better, that process, as they face worse quarterbacks and worse offenses. But overall, that's probably the biggest thing is if you can't get sacks in a Todd Bulls defense, there's going to be vulnerability. So the front four and the blitz schemes just have to be a lot better moving forward. Is this season's Bucks team better than last season's Super Bowl winning Bucks team? Oh yeah, no, no question in my mind at all. Um, I would even if the record, even if they lost another game, I would say that you know it, the the process is so much better. Number one thing is offense is just the most sustainable, you know, more sustainable than defense. Um, and so the number one off, I mean, yeah, just Tom Brady's call level comfortability. I mean, he's just been really completely dominant. I know people. We'll look at the two picks in the Saints game, but you know the first one just straight up should not have counted. You know, it's clear defensive hold, and, and so I mean, anyway, like don't get caught up in the semantics as much. But he's just played at an unbelievable level. Like just you know, based on his level of play, they should absolutely be no. You know, some other things have led to the two losses, but yeah, he's been incredible, which is probably the number one thing you always want to look at is quarterback play. Um, and then the other thing is offensive line. You know, they were good last year, but they've taken another step this year. They were really dominant in the playoffs last year, and that helped, I think. But they've taken another step this year. Really, all five guys playing at a really, really high level, playing the best football of their career right now. And so that's that has all helped a lot. Um, the other thing is the weapon. You know, the receivers work as good as they should have been last year. Some of that was injuries. First half of the season, Evans and Godwin were both banged up. Then end of the season, Evans was banged up again. Get to the playoffs. You remember the Washington game. Godwin has five drops in that game. It's like they just couldn't string together good games really as a group that often. Um, this year, it's been much more consistent. Everybody kind of knows where they should be a little bit better. Uh, they're reading defenses the same way. So offensively, everything's better. Play calling, they have way more answers for pressure than they had last year way more answers when teams you know go cover four against them a ton uh you know they have way more answers for that when they can't hit big plays um so it's just way more efficient everything's better on the offensive side of the ball as the numbers indicate defensively i think they're probably a little bit worse or maybe they're on the same level i guess because they did struggle most last of the regular season um the biggest thing defensively though is they've had so many injuries so if they can get back healthy maybe they can be better than they were last year the other hard part about evaluating the defense is they started the season off rough, been better over the last five weeks, but have faced like clearly much worse offenses, receivers, quarterbacks. So that you know obviously plays a part in it, as we know. So jury's still out on the defense, but offense, which is the more important unit in my mind, is is much better than last year. We're previewing Washington, Tampa Bay with Bucks and NFL draft analyst John Ledyard of Pewter Report. So Tom Brady, age forty four, season. He threw Week 9, led the NFL in both touchdown passes and passing yards per game, and was number 2 in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR. Is there any discernible decline in his game? No, there just isn't. Um, you know, I know that some people are just going to say, well, yeah, some things just because of age, but it's just not true. Like, he just doesn't have any decline in his game. I can't explain it. I don't fully understand it. Um, when you're as mentally sharp as he is, everything predicates on that, right? I mean, he gets the ball out. Uh, the only guy that gets the ball out faster is Ben Roethlisberger, and it's because he's throwing, you know, 
uh, balls to the line of scrimmage every every game. That's pretty much where all his passes go. So you know, with Brady, you have a guy that's throwing the ball down the field at a pretty high clip compared to league average, um, and he's still getting the ball out. You know, second fastest of any quarterback in the league. It's just so hard to beat that. Just those those things right there. The fact that he can hit big plays, but he can but he can do it without holding on to the football, without creating out a structure, without needing to do any of those things. Just within the structure of the offense, just because of how fast he thinks. Hard to fool a guy who's seen as much as he has, and really just frustrating for a pass rush because you can never really get home. So you just wear down, um, and you don't have any success to kind of fuel you. Um, so it's hard to find the process for him because obviously when you blitz him, he's unbelievable. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league against the blitz again this year. He's been really good under pressure as well this year. You know, lately there hasn't even been that much pressure, so the sample size is shrinking um you know i think the, the bucks offense can still get a little frustrated when you drop out and take away all their big plays mainly because arians and left which especially arians loves to hunt for the big plays so there are still drives where they try to push the issue there a little bit and brady's kind of forcing some throws he probably wouldn't like as much but for the most part how much left has adjusted to like defenses rather than the Bucks, just go you know, Arians for years. We're going to do what we do no matter what, and where what you do, we're going to beat you. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and honestly, Arians has always put up numbers, but when push came to shove and they faced the better with defenses and the smarter DCs, it, it got solved and the efficiency wasn't there and turnovers happened. Um, and that's where they've grown is Leftwich's ability to find answers, short, intermediate game, uh, scheming guys open. The screen game is completely evolved. I mean, it was like non existent last year. Now everybody's involved. Um, so there's a lot of layers um, to how this offense has improved. Uh, Brady's definitely had a hand in that too. But yeah, when you get the ball that quick and you're you know able to make throws all three levels of the field, which he clearly is, it's hard to see it. And he's been better outside of structure and he's been better on the move this year than maybe ever in his career. <laughs> like, wow. I know that sounds absurd. I just don't like, I, I mean, I'm very critical analyst. I think anybody who knows me would say that, but, it just isn't there. There's just nothing to talk about with Brady other than good stuff. That really is incredible. So we do know that the Bucks are banged up at receiver and tight end. Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. We'll obviously see who ends up playing on Sunday. But does it matter who ends up playing in terms of the skill position players? I know that may sound ridiculous, but it just feels like the Bucks are so deep at the skill positions and Tom Brady is so good that no one player is ever truly missed. Is that right or not really? They do. They will miss Chris Godwin if he's not out there. I mean, they miss Antonio Brown too. I mean, it, it matters because Bruce Aaron's offense is so predicated on the passing game and on receivers, especially like that's, it, that's not a Bucks thing either. You know, as you know, like uh, you go back to Arizona, but that was the same way. Like when he is Pittsburgh, same way, like they loaded up on receivers. That's where his offense operates from. So when you get hit to the degree that they're hit right now, yeah, I mean, there's a chance Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, and Chris Godwin all don't play on Sunday. You know, that's, you know, three of your top five, you know, depending on how Tyler Johnson and Scotty usually split the number four spot. Um, so, I mean, that's that's three of your top guys right there that all might not play in a game. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to have Tyler Johnson, who's the number four or five guy, now playing the number two role. And then you're going to have Brashad Perryman, you know, who just got signed, probably playing the number three role. And, you know, I know he's been a buck before under Arians' offense, so he knows the system a little bit. But, I mean, you're still talking about a guy who couldn't make the Lions and couldn't get on the field for the Bears. Like, you know, this is – so, yeah, it's it's a big difference if those guys can't play. And, you know, even if Scotty can't play, you know, it's, it's still – his foot. I mean, how how many snaps he can be able to handle? He hasn't played since week three. He hasn't played a lot of snaps at any point this season. So 
there's still the, the workload, you know, and then if Gronk's out, so you're down to two tight ends. And I know they just signed Darren Fells, but he knows the system. But, you know, how he's not a weapon, really. And so, yeah, it, it affects things for sure. I mean, this is an offense that, like, yeah, has to drive in the passing game. Um, you know, if it were a different quarterback, you'd be even more concerned about it. Um, you know, when Carson Palmer didn't have his guys as good as Palmer was for a couple of years under Arian so it was a big difference with him. You know, he could create, but Brady just, because he's, it's less about who the guy is. He never gets locked in on one guy. It's less about who the guy is and more about just, you know, whoever's open on a given play, he's going to know who it is and find him most of the time. And so the key is going to be, can anybody get open? You know, against Washington, you know, obviously bottom, you know, bottom rank pass defense in the league right now by numbers. You would hope that some guys could still make that happen. Tyler Johnson's been exciting, I think, in year two. He's exciting in year one. So seeing more of him would be cool. You know, Jalen Darden's the number four guy. Is he going to screw up? You know, he's he's done some good things. He's he screwed up some things. He looks like a fourth round rookie. Um, so if he has to play more offense, it could get could get sketchy. You know, so we'll see. I, I don't know. Um, I think that uh, it does matter at a certain point, but definitely it's a position that they will always prioritize being deep at, no matter who's the quarterback. As long as Arians is, is running the show, they're going to have as many wide receivers as humanly possible. I want to get your take on this. So this game on Sunday, of course, is a rematch of the wild card game between Washington and Tampa Bay at FedEx Field this past January. It has been said that Taylor Heineke played the best out of the four quarterbacks who the Bucks faced en route to their Super Bowl title last postseason, even though, right, the other three quarterbacks were Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes. Is it accurate to say that Heineke played the best, or is that an exaggeration? I think Rodgers played the best, but Heineke was definitely second. I mean, you know, we're looking at one-game sample sizes here, and, you know, the Bucks defense obviously played the worst in that game, so that matters too, you know. Um, but yeah, Rodgers played played way better than he gets probably credit for if his coaching was a little better. And I think his coaching is good, by the way, generally. But if, if their decision-making was a little bit better later in that game, it could have been a different result. Um, he led him back from, you know, you, it's hard to lead a team back with 28, whatever it was, uh, against the Bucs. I mean, that was a pretty heck of a comeback by him, obviously. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely think Heineke played really, really well. I mean, there's no question. And a lot of things that he did were kind of out of structure. Uh, you know, the Bucks couldn't get him down in the pocket, and he just made stuff happen. And Heineke, I don't know that anybody would say he's like good, as in like a good starter in the NFL. But the the thing about Heineke that's so dangerous is that like he can like kind of slingshot himself into like periods of greatness. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if some guys just feed off their own energy, and the team feeds off of it. And, you know, Fitzpatrick has that to a degree, too. Uh, you know, he's more consistent probably than Heineke even, but has done it over a larger sample size. So you trust it a little more that he's going to have those big games. You know, Heineke can can obviously, I mean, I think 13 turnover-worthy throws this season. So he obviously takes chances. He puts the ball in harm's way. He doesn't always make good decisions. But sometimes, man, he can just get on these heaters, and he looks like a world beater. And... That's not something you could say about a lot of the a lot of the like. I think Heineke would probably be in the below average quarterback group, but a lot of the guys the Bucks have faced that are like in that group, like Trevor Simeon or um, or uh, Jacoby Brissett or even Jalen Hurts right now. Like those guys, the Bucks have kind of beat up you know, for the most part. I mean, Brissett did make some plays, but those guys don't have that Heineke like ability to just kind of like elevate out of nowhere and and play out of their mind <laughs> you know he's he's kind of like a jr smith like the jr smith the nfl in some ways just like 
you know, you could be like, what are you doing for a while? And then like all of a sudden, boom, it's like this sick game and you're all in again. And I don't know if it'll ever be sustainable with him, but that always is dangerous because regularly you're just talking about one game and you never know if you're the team that's going to catch him on a heater and the Bucks have had a hard time bringing quarterbacks down in the pocket this season and have allowed some stuff outside of structure to happen that they shouldn't. So their front's going to really have to be on it, I think, to, to neutralize them because if he gets going and finds confidence, yeah, it could be a long day for your defense. That slingshot analogy is so perfect for Taylor Heineke. You mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, Bucks, of course, had him for two seasons, 2017 and 2018. How is he looked back upon in terms of his time with the Bucks? Yeah, that was, I mean, obviously I was covering the league at that point, but I wasn't even covering Tampa Bay at that point. I wish I had been because I would love personal experiences with Fitzpatrick because I think he's just, a, I mean, he's just a fun, but he's just an awesome dude, you know, but everybody here that covered him, that played with him, nothing but positive things to say about the guy um, and his leadership and just kind of the consistency of his personality, especially because, you know, even though, you know, they both have some risk-taking tendencies. You know, Davis was just kind of always all over the place here, and you never knew, was he going to take blame? Was he going to say, you know, check your sheet, uh, you know, about <laughs> production and call it, you know, basically challenging the media. It, you know, it just, Fitzpatrick was just much steadier individual, uh, much more kind of confident in, in who he was as a player. And so I think, yeah, a lot of love for him, pretty much in every circle he's probably been in, I feel like, uh, around the league, and, and that's definitely true in Tampa Bay as well. All right, one more for you, and I appreciate your time. So if I could lean on your NFL draft expertise, Washington has been searching for a franchise quarterback for decades, and you know, conventional thought is that Washington will be looking to take a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. Is this quarterback class as underwhelming as many people are saying? It's definitely extremely underwhelming, yeah. And the fact that you won't really find any analysts that dispute that right now when everybody loves to argue about anything and be contrarian about anything related to the draft is kind of all the indication you need that it's a pretty miserable class. Um, There are guys with some promise. You know, uh, honestly, it's funny. Matt Coral from Ole Miss, I just get some Heineke vibe from him. just energetic trash talk, you know, just have that edge to yeah. them. Uh, and, the, and the way they play the quarterback position, neither super physically talented, but physically talented enough, uh, can definitely get out of structure, but not great athletes. Um, you know, he probably has a higher ceiling maybe than I think he's made, I think pretty good decisions this year and pretty quick decisions at Ole Miss. That's always a good sign. A guy that doesn't hold the ball for forever in, in college uh, to make plays. I think it's a good sign, but, yeah, I mean, accuracy, you know, and physical tools just being kind of average are going to be question marks with him. Uh, I think, you know, Dane Burgler, who I trust a lot, has him as the top guy, like Cole, for a few years. I, you know, I don't see him as a, you know, surefire NFL starter or anything, but that's where we're at with the class. Um, you know, there's Kenny Pickett, who doesn't have the ceiling. The arm is clearly just very average at best um, from Pitt, but he's been the guy that's grown, has a ton of experience, made good decisions pretty accurate um you know he could be a. but again these guys you know how good are they going to be can they keep you are they just going to keep you in that quarterback purgatory you know picking in the teens every year like is anybody going to you know be really worth it to put you over the top that's the that's the big question and then malik willis is, is the guy that you know when you're looking at upside it's just not it's not there yet i mean the level of competition has something to do with it he's a very erratic decision maker the accuracy can come and go it's very much a project um people are trying to get excited about him because he's probably the toolsiest guy (laughs) but 
I don't even think his arm is like unbelievable or anything. So yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's not, not a good quarterback class of free agency, hopefully. And, and, you know, there could be movement with like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, I guess Matt Ryan, probably not this year, but you know, there could be guys with like that that are moving. So we could have an eventful, you know, I wouldn't rule out Kirk Cousins moving, you know, there's, there could be like a lot of teams that are just like, we're ready to, you know, rebuild basically that position. And so we could have more movement in the NFL than, than free agency would indicate right now, but it's going to be tough for teams that don't have a quarterback in place right now. Yeah, not what we want to hear, but perhaps what we need to hear. Bucks and NFL draft analyst John Ledyard of Pewter Report. Thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, my friends, it is that time to rhyme. Time for rhyming keys as I will rhyme the path to victory for the Washington football team in its game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon at 1. Washington is being given like no chance of winning this game. We will rhyme a way to a win for the W to the F to the T. Now understand these rhymes are not meant to be good. They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment. The worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for Washington, Tampa Bay. How, oh, how does Washington win this game? How, oh, how does Washington beat the almighty Tom Brady and the Buccaneers? Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. And this is for Chase Young. It's time to shine over the final nine. And so begin by exacting revenge on the Bucks O-line. Look, this game on Sunday could end up being a bloodbath. We're all aware of that. Uh, this game could end up being a scrimmage for the Bucks. Tom Brady must be laughing at so much of what he has seen on tape from this Washington defense. That said, we do know the deal with Brady. Tom Brady, when pressured, is different than Tom Brady when he isn't pressured. Tom Brady in the 2020 regular season per ESPN had a total QBR of 84 without pressure versus a total QBR of six with pressure. That is a jaw-dropping discrepancy. And so especially now with Montez Sweat in the midst of this expected four to six week absence, Due to his fractured jaw, the time is now for Chase Young to be the predator, to be the predator. The time is now for Chase Young to rise up and be the wrecking machine that he's supposed to be. There's always pressure on a guy like Chase Young to perform well, but there is particular pressure on him to perform well on Sunday. A, Ron Rivera's recent blunt and direct comments about it. Chase's season and him needing to be better and how he can be better. And we talked earlier in the show about Chase's response to some of this with his post-practice press conference on Thursday. B, Montez Sweat being out now for a while due to this fractured jaw. C, Washington facing the greatest quarterback ever in Tom Brady and this high-powered Bucks offense. And D, this Bucks team having handled Chase in Washington's loss to the Bucks at FedEx Field in the wildcard round last postseason. If Chase Young isn't foaming at the mouth to have a monster game on Sunday, then I don't know what to tell you. It is long since past time 
for Chase Young to get going this season. But the good news is that there is still plenty of season with which to work. Washington has nine games left in its regular season. The truth is that that is plenty of time for Chase to pile up the sacks, pile up the quarterback hits, and really get going here. Understand that Chase over eight games this season doesn't have just one and a half sacks. He also has just four quarterback hits. The numbers really are underwhelming. I mean, for comparison's sake, Jonathan Allen leads Washington with six sacks and leads Washington with 19 quarterback hits. Jonathan Allen has 19 quarterback hits. Chase Young has four. You know, Montez Sweat is second on Washington with four sacks and is second on Washington with 12 quarterback hits. Heck, Matt Ioannidis has five quarterback hits. Ioannidis has one more quarterback hit than Chase has, and Ioannidis has played on 202 fewer defensive snaps than Chase has. And so rhyming key number one for Chase Young, it's time to shine over the final nine, and so begin by exacting revenge on the Bucks O-line. Rhyming key number two for Washington, Tampa Bay, this is for Washington's defense as a whole. Do not miss when trying to tackle Chris. So we don't know whether Bucks receiver Chris Godwin will play on Sunday. He did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to a foot injury. But if Godwin does play, Washington's secondary, which uh, has not been good this season, needs to be where. Chris Godwin, through week nine, was number four in the NFL in yak per ESPN at 361. And that was with Godwin and the Bucks having only played eight games this season. Some players and teams have played nine games. But 361 yards after the catch for Godwin over eight games this season. Do the math. That's an average of about 45 yards after the catch per game. And he's averaging 13.2 yards per catch. So it's not like he's catching nothing but short passes. In fact, Godwin's average targeted air yards for the NFL's next-gen stats this season is 8.4. Average targeted air yards is the average passing air yards per target for the receiver. So it's not just about covering Chris Godwin. It's about tackling Chris Godwin. And again, maybe he won't play on Sunday. But if he does, William Jackson III, who appears likely to be back from his two-game absence due to a knee injury, in particular, needs to be on. You know, Jackson has been off for way too much of this season. He needs to be on, and that includes his tackling. You know, his tackling in the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6 was an embarrassment, and he's not the only Washington defensive back who has had issues tackling this season. Kendall Fuller has had issues tackling this season. Landon Collins has had issues tackling this season and last season. Although I guess it's now debatable whether Landon should be considered a member of Washington's secondary, but you get the idea. Rhyming key number two for Washington's defense, do not miss when you try to tackle Chris. Rhyming key number three for Washington Tampa Bay, this is for Washington's offense. Do better than just field goals against this defense of Todd Bowles. Washington's offense has been in a rut during the team's four-game losing streak. The many injuries to offensive players have had a lot to do with the rut, but other factors have been in play as well. Taylor Heineke, in each of the four games that make up the losing streak, is at a total QBR per ESPN of less than 32. And Washington's offense during the four-game losing streak is just 2 of 11 in 
the red zone. Now, that seems unsustainable. As much as people keep asking why Washington's offense is struggling in the red zone, some of that is just plain bad luck. An offense converting on just two red zone opportunities out of 11 is rare. That said, it is bad, really bad. Washington has totaled just 33 points over its last three games. That's bad, really bad. And Washington on Sunday will be facing a Bucks defense for which, of course, former Washington defensive back Todd Bowles is the defensive coordinator. And a Bucks defense that through week nine per Football Outsiders DVOA metric was number 10 in the NFL in pass defense and number four in the NFL in run defense. So Washington is going to try to be doing better in the red zone against a very good defense that plays for maybe the single best offense in the NFL. The Bucks through week nine were number one in the NFL in points per game this season at 32.5. Washington through week nine was number 25 in the NFL in points per game this season at 19.5. Yes, the Bucks are averaging 13 more points per game than Washington is averaging this season. That says a lot. Washington needs to score touchdowns, not field goals. That's true every week, but is especially true for this Week 10 matchup against the Mighty Bucks. And so rhyming key number three for Washington's offense, do better than just field goals against this defense of Todd Bowles. And one more. It is rhyming key number four. For new kicker Joey Sly, please be better than the last guy. (laughs) It would be hard to be worse. Uh, The last thing that the Washington football team needs in trying to compete with the Mighty Bucks is for Washington's new kicker to be missing kicks or having field goal attempts blocked. Chris Blewett, over his two games as Washington's kicker, went just two of five on field goals with the three missed field goal attempts all having been blocked field goal attempts. The good news with Washington's new kicker, jacked up Joey Sly, and he is jacked up, by the way. Joey Sly is like the Laurent Landry of kickers. But the good news with Joey Sly is that he is an experienced NFL kicker. Blewett had never kicked in an NFL regular season game and had not kicked in a truly meaningful game since his final collegiate game in December 2016. Sly has already kicked for two other NFL teams this season in the Houston Texans and the San Francisco 49ers. Now, things have been a little bizarre with Joey Sly. Sly, in his six total regular season games this season, has gone 11 of 13 on field goals, including three of three on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. Okay, that's good. But Sly, in his six total regular season games this season, has gone just nine of 12 on extra points, including just two of four on extra points over his three games with the 49ers in October. Joey Sly needs to make his kicks on Sunday for many reasons, not the least of which is Washington almost certainly having to score a lot of points if Washington is to have any hope of winning this game. Hopefully Sly is only needed to kick extra points because a bunch of Washington offensive possessions are resulting in touchdowns. But if called upon to kick field goals, he needs to make them and uh, certainly not have them blocked. And so rhyming key number four for new kicker Joey Sly, please be better than the last guy. It is prediction time. Washington per Caesar Sportsbook as of very early Friday morning is plus nine and a half. Did you know 
that Washington, per sharp football analysis, is an NFL worst 1-7 and seven against the spread this season. That's the thing. It's not just that Washington is 2-6. and six, It's that Washington is 2-6 and six with a point differential of minus 71. That's why I keep mentioning that minus 71 point differential for Washington. That point differential is very disturbing. I don't know how anyone can like Washington to win this game, even with the injured nature of the Bucks' offense. This potential for receivers Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown and tight end Rob Gronkowski all to be out for this game. We have seen pretty much every opposing quarterback have his way with this Washington defense this season. Why would that change in facing the greatest quarterback ever in Tom Brady, who so far is having a spectacular season? Give me the Bucks minus the nine and a half. Final score, Bucks 37, Washington 23. We turn our attention now to college football. Goldilocks for week 11 of the college football season. You no doubt have heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Well, this is Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Two and one last week, 18 and 15 is the overall record on the season. Now, no game for Navy in this week 11. The midshipmen will host East Carolina Saturday afternoon, November 20th at 3.30. So here we go. All odds are from Caesars Sportsbook as of very early Friday morning as I take this. Goldilocks game number one, Maryland at number seven, Michigan State. Saturday afternoon at four, the Terrapins are plus 13. Michigan State, number seven in the college football playoff rankings that came out on Tuesday night. Terps fell to five and four with a 31-14 loss to Penn State at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium and College Park last Saturday. The Terps now are 3-41-1 all-time against Penn State. Yes, 3-41-1. Uh, the game was tied at 14 in the fourth quarter, and then the Terps allowed the uh, Nittany Lions to score the game's final 17 points. Terps' defense was not good. Terps allowed Penn State to go 10 of 18 on third downs, and the Terps got shredded by Penn State receiver Jahan Dotson, who finished with 11 receptions for 242 yards and three touchdowns on 15 targets. Also, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa had a rough game, though the rough game was not all on him. You look at something like the back-breaking pick six, second and three at the Penn State 13 in the fourth quarter, Terps trailing 24-14. Talia threw an 87-yard pick six to safety Jair Brown, although the interception was due to receiver Daryl Jones breaking off his route. Uh, Talia threw for just 371 yards on 57 pass attempts. That works out to just 6.51 yards per pass attempt, but Talia was victimized by multiple drops by Terps pass catchers, including receiver Marcus Fleming in the second quarter, dropping a pass that almost certainly would have resulted in a touchdown. Uh, Talia was charged with two fumbles, including a lost fumble, although that came off a bad snap with Talia in the pistol on a second and two at the Penn State 10 with the Terps trailing 14-6 in the third quarter. That was a killer of a moment. But also for Talia in this game, he officially finished with seven carries for minus 29 yards. Uh, Talia quarterback to Maryland offense that went just 4-15 
on third downs. The Spartans of Michigan State, a.k.a. Sparty, are 8-1, uh, though they had been 8-0. and oh. Sparty is coming off a 40-29 loss at Purdue last Saturday, a game in which Michigan State got carved up by Purdue quarterback Aiden O'Connell, who went 40 of 54 for 536 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Michigan State had been one of the better defensive teams in the country this season. Sure did not look like one of the better defensive teams in the country last Saturday. Spartans through Week 10 were number 24 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN, and actually number 13 in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN. And the biggest reason for that, running back Kenneth Walker III. He through Week 10 was number one in the FBS in rushing yards at 1,330 and was tied for third in the FBS in rushing touchdowns at 15. Kenneth Walker III is averaging 6.8 yards per carry this season. It is frightening to think what Walker could do against this Maryland defense. It's hard to believe that Michigan State's defense will be as bad as it was in the loss at Purdue. And if you're a Maryland fan like I am, you know that the Terps, since joining the Big Ten, have mostly gotten demolished in games against ranked Big Ten teams. The public is pounding Michigan State, but how can you not be? Give me Michigan State minus 13. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Thank you, Snoop. Goldilocks game number two, Virginia, home to number nine, Notre Dame, Saturday night at 7.30. The Cavaliers are plus five and a half. Notre Dame, number nine in the college football playoff rankings that came out on Tuesday night. So the Cavs are six and three, are coming off a bye, and are in the midst of a brutal stretch in their schedule. The Cavs' last game was that wacko 66-49 loss at BYU late night on Saturday night, October 30th. BYU was number 25 in the Associated Press poll at the time. The Cavs' next game will be at Pitt on Saturday, November 20th. Pitt is number 21 in the latest college football playoff rankings. Wild game for Pitt on Thursday night, a 30-23 overtime win over North Carolina. Pitt led at the end of the first quarter 17-0, blew the lead, but won the game. So this three-game stretch for the Wahoos at BYU, home to Notre Dame, and at Pitt. Not easy. And making things more challenging is that the Who's stud quarterback, Brendan Armstrong, in that loss at BYU, suffered a rib injury in the fourth quarter, did not return to the game, indications seem to have been that he'll be good to go, but we don't know for sure. Jay Wolfolk would be the Who's starting quarterback if Armstrong can't go. Armstrong, by the way, on Tuesday was named one of 20 semifinalists for the Davey O'Brien Award, which is considered the most prestigious college quarterback award. Armstrong has been great this season. He threw week 10, was number one in the FBS in total offense, was number two in the FBS in passing yards, and was number 14 in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR. Notre Dame is 8-1, is coming off a 34-6 route of Navy last Saturday. Fighting Irish through Week 10 were number 18 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN. So this game on Saturday night is a classic battle of a great offense in Virginia's versus a very good defense in Notre Dame's. But to me, what this game may well come down to is Virginia's defense versus Notre Dame's offense, and the Cavs' defense is atrocious. UVA through week 10 was just 113th 
in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN. Notre Dame's offense isn't special, but Notre Dame can move the football. The Hoos will score. Their offense is great, but I think the Fighting Irish will score more. The public is heavy on Notre Dame, but give me Notre Dame minus five and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And Goldilocks game number three, Virginia Tech home to Duke Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Hokies are minus 11 and a half. Uh, this game, a battle of suck versus suck more. Uh, the Hokies fell to four and five with a 17-3 loss at Boston College last Friday night. Another bad loss for Justin Fuente as Hokies head coach. I mean, barring the unforeseen, there's no way that he'll be back as Hokies head coach for next season. Facing a Boston College team that had lost four consecutive games and was 0-4 in the ACC, the Hokies scored a mere three points in losing for the fifth time in seven games since a 2 and do start. Now, there were some mitigating factors here. BC surprisingly started Phil Dracovic at quarterback. He had been thought to be done for the season due to an injured throwing hand that had required surgery that was performed on September 13th. Hokies receiver Trey Turner did not play due to injury. And the Hokies starting quarterback, Braxton Burmeister, left the game in the first quarter due to injury and did not return. Fuente on Monday said regarding Burmeister playing against Duke that he'll, quote, go if he can, end quote. Fuente also was noncommittal about Trey Turner's status for Saturday. But this loss at BC ended up being a nightmare of a game for Tech offensively. The Hokies scored just three points, went just three of 11 on third downs, lost the time of possession battle by 13 minutes, 52 seconds. And that was even with the Hokies for a third consecutive game running the ball well. Hokies running back Malachi Thomas, 13 carries, 70 yards. Hokies running back Raheem Blackshear, 12 carries, 67 yards. So bad times right now for Virginia Tech, but even worse times right now for Duke. The Blue Devils are three and six, including 0 and 5 in the ACC. The Devils have lost five consecutive games. Here's how bad Duke is. Virginia shut out Duke. Yes, Virginia's awful defense pitched a shutout against Duke. The Cavs beat the Blue Devils 48-0 in Charlottesville on October 16th. It can't be that Virginia Tech will lose at home to Duke, can it? There's no way that even this Virginia Tech team will lose at home to this Duke team, is there? Of course there's a way, especially if Braxton Burmeister and Trey Turner don't play. I hate picking this game not knowing whether either guy will play, but Duke is awful. The public is heavily on Virginia Tech, but that line is a fat line, seems to suggest that uh, there's a belief that the Hokies uh, will win this game quite handily, even with the Hokies having looked terrible in that loss at BC. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense that Virginia Tech would be favored by 11 and a half coming off a 17-3 loss at Boston College. And so give me Virginia Tech minus 11 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, so Michigan State minus 13, Notre Dame minus five and a half, and Virginia Tech minus 11 and a half. Those are your Goldilocks for college football week 11. It's funny how similar the Capitals and Wizards seasons have been so far. Each team is off to a really good start despite having had to deal with a number of injuries slash absences, and the Caps continued this theme on Thursday night, a 2-0 win 
at the Detroit Red Wings. Caps now 7-2-4 and four on the season. Caps were without what has become a familiar bunch of players. Nicholas Backstrom remained out. He has yet to play this season. He has been out since the start of Capitals training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. TJ Oshie remained out due to a lower body injury that was suffered the last time the Caps had played the Red Wings, a 3-2 overtime loss to the Red Wings at Capital One Arena on October 27th. Anthony Mantha is out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent last Friday, November 5th for an injury that was suffered in the 5-4 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers on November 4th. Nick Dowd did not play on Thursday night due to a lower body injury that was suffered in the 5-3 win over the Buffalo Sabres at Capital One Arena on Monday night. But added to this list was goaltender Vitek Vanacek. He did not play on Thursday night as he is dealing with some sort of ailment and was taking a maintenance day. And so the Caps starting goaltender was Zach Fucali, who the Caps recalled from AHL affiliate Hershey on Thursday morning. Caps are playing back-to-back games Thursday night and Friday night. And so instead of going with Ilya Samsonov, head coach Peter Laviolette went with Zach Fucali as the Caps starting goaltender. Fucali, in fact, was making his NHL regular season debut, and all he did was pitch a shutout in his NHL regular season debut. Fucali stopped all 21 of the shots on goal that he faced to become the first goaltender in Capitals history to record a shutout in his NHL regular season debut. What the Fucali from Zach Fucali? Uh, Fucali is an interesting story. He's 26, so he's actually older than both Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov. Fucali has played a ton of minor league games, finally got a chance to play in an NHL regular season game, and he recorded a shutout. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game session with reporters. It was awesome. You know, it was awesome just watching him come back into the locker room and the guys showering him with water and cheering for him. And it's, um, you know, there's, you always have roads and paths that you can take in life. And um, his road was long and he stayed on the right road. And uh, he gets to start in game tonight and get rewarded with a, a big win. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, Fucali became just the seventh goaltender in NHL history age 26 or older, to record a shutout in his NHL regular season debut. Fucali, per natural stat trick, stopped all five of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced. Also for the Caps in this 2-0 win at the Red Wings on Thursday night, Caps had 15 block shots to the Red Wings' eight. The Caps have been excellent this season at blocking shots. Defenseman Dmitry Orloff had a game-high five block shots, but the Caps entered games on Thursday having blocked an NHL high 28.9% of their opponent's shots this season. Caps went 4-4 on the penalty kill on Thursday night, although the Caps did go 0-4 on the power play. Only scoring in the game were first period even strand goals by defenseman Dmitry Orloff and center Lars Eller. Orloff's goal featured Evgeny Kuznetsov with the primary assist and Alex Ovechkin with the secondary assist. Ovi, though, had no shots on goal in the game, and he was charged with a game-high tying three giveaways. But whatever. Caps threw a shutout despite starting a goaltender who was making his NHL regular season debut. Next up for the Caps, a game on Friday night at the Columbus Blue Jackets at 7.
Well, quite the scare for Maryland basketball on Thursday night. Number 21 Terrapins did win. Uh, they did improve to 2-0, a 71-64 win over George Washington at Xfinity Center in College Park. Terps led, though, by just two points at 66-64 with a little more than two minutes left in the second half. Did end the game on a 5-0 run. We see early season upsets in college basketball every season now, right? Heck, we just saw one on Tuesday night. Number 25, Virginia, beginning its season with that stunning 66-58 loss to Navy at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Tuesday night. So if you're a Maryland fan like I am, do not take for granted that the Terps won this game on Thursday night. But the Terps almost did not win this game. Head coach Mark Turgeon during his postgame press conference. First of all, I think you got to give GW a ton of credit. <laughs> they were terrific. And I tried to explain to our guys that everybody on their team thinks they should be wearing a Maryland uniform. And um, they competed. They played their tails off. Um, they were really good. They were inspired. They were great defensively with deflections. And they just did a lot of great things. So you got to give them a lot of credit. Yeah, so Turgeon starting five for a second time in as many games this season were Rhode Island transfer and point guard Fats Russell, Eric Ayala, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Georgetown transfer, and 6'11", a big man, Kudis Wahab. Uh, James Graham III, the 6'8 freshman consensus four-star recruit out of Milwaukee, was not with the team for this game due to a violation of team rules. Biggest problem for the Terps on Thursday night was their shooting. Uh, the Terps won despite some horrendous shooting in this game. The Terps went just 3 of 20 on threes, went just 21 of 44 on twos, went just 20 of 29 on free throws. And some of the individual performances were ugly. Eric Ayala went 0 of 6 on threes, had two assists versus five turnovers in 32 minutes as a starter. The Utah transfer, Ian Martinez, just one of five on threes in 20 minutes off the bench. Dante Scott, one of four on threes, though he did have 10 rebounds and two blocks in 31 minutes as a starter. Hakeem Hart, 0 of three on threes, though he did have three steals in 27 minutes as a starter. 6'9 freshman Julian Reese, just two of nine from the field in 17 minutes off the bench. Now, the Rhode Island transfer point guard, Fats Russell, he did go one of one on threes, but he also went just three of nine on twos. But Fats Russell delivered 15.6 rebounds, two steals in just 28 minutes as a starter. And the three that he hit was a big one, a step back contested three near the top of the arc for a 70-64 Maryland lead with 44 seconds left in the second half. Turgeon during his postgame press conference on the Terps' woeful shooting on Thursday night. I'll have to watch the film. So the first half, I wasn't happy with the shots. And uh, we got two guys that just think it's about them the start of the game, and it's not about them, and we got to get that corrected. So, um, and then, you know, I thought the second half, we had a lot of really good looks, a lot of really good looks. And um, there's many times I thought we could have, you know, extended the lead and put the game away, whether it was missed free throws or missing open threes or missing things around the rim. Not sure who Turgeon was talking about in terms of the two players early in the game. I can tell you who the Turge was not talking about. Kudis Wahab. Uh, he was a force on Thursday night. Easily was a Terps MVP of the game. The Georgetown transfer, the 6'11 Nigerian. Kudis Wahab, 18 points on 7 of 10 shooting. 15 rebounds, including five 
offensive boards and two blocks in just 24 minutes as a starter. He had 18, 15, and two in just 24 minutes as a starter. Wahab became the first Terp since Steve Francis in the 1998-1999 season to score 15 or more points in his first two games at Maryland. Rebounding ended up being a big reason for this Maryland victory. Terps had 17 offensive rebounds to George Washington's 10 and 17 second chance points to GW6. And nobody was a bigger deal in terms of Maryland's rebounding than Kudus Wahab. Turgeon during his postgame press conference on Wahab. He really changed the game with his offensive rebound to start the second half. And not only got the offensive rebound, but it was hard to finish because they're in there just reaching and grabbing and doing things. They're really quick and very active with their hands. And um, for him to finish, I thought was great. And um, there's some things we're still working on with him, but, you know, it's, it's good to score baskets around the rim. He's really good at it. And he, I felt like he had a lot of, a lot of big rebounds. Didn't protect the rim like I wanted to, and he will in time. Um, but, uh, you know, we're still getting there, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're still getting there. We're not where we need to be. No, you're not. But a lot of games for the Terps in this early portion of the season. Next up for the Terps, home to Vermont Saturday afternoon at two. It's interesting. Georgetown will be playing its season opener on Saturday afternoon at two. Hoyas will be home to Dartmouth. But the Terps on Saturday afternoon at two will be playing their third game of the season already. All right, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 187, will be a Washington football team postgame show off whatever happens in Washington's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Also, I will postgame the college football weekend with Maryland at number seven, Michigan State, Virginia home to number nine, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech home to Duke. And I'll have some thoughts for you on the Capitals and the Wizards. Caps will be at the Columbus Blue Jackets Friday night at 7, and then home to the Pittsburgh Penguins Sunday night at 7. The Wiz will be at the Orlando Magic Saturday night at 7. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Just focus on your trade. Go to work.